Hi again. Welcome back to Shooting the Breeze with Clement with another episode of Men, Hardship and Triumph, a podcast series that is meant to be a resource for men who are finding this complex world overwhelming to navigate. This is a series of one-on-one chat with men who've gone through life and have experienced some of the difficulties that life can throw at them and was able to navigate to where they are today, contented, change for the better and much wiser to the world. While discussing their lives, I'm hoping that these guys would also talk about the difficult periods and what strategies they use to survive them and what lessons they have learned from it. For my sixth episode today, I have another friend of mine, Josh Chrissy, who was my colleague when we were delivering a cognitive behavior therapy coaching program for Beyond Blue a few years ago. Prior to the program, Josh was a personal trainer and a student of exercise science at university who also enjoys mixed martial arts. In 2018, Josh was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, which included multiple periods of being in mental health facilities due to having thoughts of suicide or having actually attempted suicide. He has been in treatment ever since, and he also has struggled with alcohol addiction around the time of his diagnosis. I asked Josh if I could interview him as I'm in awe watching him go through his struggles with such dignity and openness, and at the same time was able to continue to provide excellent treatment to his clients. I'm hoping that listeners who may be experiencing mental health struggles or have friends or family who is currently struggling with mental health issues can get something from this interview and from listening to how Josh is able to live his life in a fulfilling manner. Sir Josh, welcome and thank you for granting me this interview. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. So tell me, Matt, what are you doing currently? At the moment, still doing the the new access program. So still doing CBT. It's obviously kind of online and everything these days with COVID. But yeah, I've been doing that for another six months or so now since the transition, as you know, of things in the past. So yeah, it's been really good. Enjoying the still or... As B.B. King says, the thrill is gone or <laughs> what, what is it like? Nah, look, it's really good. It's uh, the contract that we have, the people we're helping at the moment, they're all uh, from Victoria, so a lot with Melbourne. And so obviously lockdowns and, oh. yeah, hearing their stories kind of repeated lockdowns continuously and the impact it's had, you know, kind of socially and being able to see friends, family, you know, affect work, those areas. So, yeah. It's definitely, it's still been interesting and had a few people that have thrown some some new things my way, which has been really cool. Tell yeah. me a little bit about your childhood, just growing up. How, how does one become this very chilled out, mellow young man that, <laughs> that, that you are today? It's all an act, mate. You know that. It's all an act. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's stress, there's what, what do we say in fake it till you make it? <laughs> That's a lot of the time, you know, and, you know, to be honest, my experiences, whether it be CBT or the personal training world, you know, when you start out and as I'm sure everyone knows when you start out in new things, new challenges, you kind of do have the fake it to, to your make it approach just to try to learn and, and become more confident. But yeah, childhood, it was interesting growing up. There were, there were different challenges, which I think have kind of probably helped me become more kind of who I am now, I think. Definitely based on my experiences, helping people that are kind of struggling and feel alone and aren't really sure where to go, what to do. I think a lot of my experiences growing up has kind of led me to where I am, I think. Absolutely. Do you believe that because of your experiences, you are more able to empathize with a lot of these guys that we are helping. Yeah, I think so. I think there's an element of understanding if somebody, as you would know, if they have low mood, you know, and there's someone who's experiencing depression, Yeah, they know what they should be doing. A lot of the time they kind of know that they should be socializing, work, whatever it may be. Yeah. But you just don't. There's, you know, something where it's just you can't bring yourself to kind of get up and, and do it. And so I think when I hear those cases, yeah. I think I um, have more empathy. I just appreciate how difficult it is because there are yeah. definitely those things I've had where I know what I should be doing 
you know, I know what I should have been doing instead of going through bottles of alcohol. Like, but it becomes such a part of you, so to speak. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of empathy that I feel I can give to people because I, to some degree, know other feelings. Yeah, and, and that's a good point there for our listeners who, who may be dealing with a family member with depression. You know, if you do not know what it's like to be depressed, it's, you know, when you see somebody, you know, they're, they're struggling to do the, the little things in life even, you know, just getting up and brushing their teeth and all that. And sometimes we go, you know, it's so easy. Why can't you do it, you lazy bum, or whatever it is? You know, it's not. It's just everything, that, 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 even every little time's this huge, mountainous, massive effort to do and, and they know themselves and a lot of times they know themselves that that these are the things that that they need to do so you know they don't really need additional pressure or guilt tripping from people who don't know you know <laughs> would you agree josh yeah i think kind of to an extent they know what they're supposed to be doing i, I don't think there's been many people that i've spoken to that when i say when we look at these behaviors, like maybe these aren't the best choice and yeah. there are other options. They're not really like, oh, I never thought of that. It's <laughs> They know that. But, yeah, it's one of those weird things that kind of, you know, you still continue with these behaviors. You know, you yeah. still continue with what you know. Because, it, I mean, to some extent, as you know, it works. Like for me, like I say, kind of the drinking stuff or whatever it may have been, isolating worked. Like you can't deny it works to calm down and yes. feel a bit better. But yes, there's obviously much healthier options. So, yeah. so why, you, why are you saying there are obviously much healthier options? So, so tell me what would be the, first of all, what's the positive effect of alcohol? And then mm-hmm. what's the, uh, you know, what's the, the negative effect of it that you have to deal with? Yeah, I think the positive is that it does, depending on your situation. I think it obviously kind of calms all your, your feelings. Obviously, if you feel nervous, if you're feeling overwhelmed, low, you know, and you're having thoughts like you're not good enough or what's the point, there's too much to do, I can't do this. The alcohol definitely limits it to some degree, you know, yeah. it kind of obviously alters your brain so you're not having all of these thoughts right and you're kind of in this at least from my experience in this kind of completely different space like you kind of just neglect reality all the time that doesn't matter about any consequences you don't really think about it yes you know so Um, that would be the negative part is when you start having to deal with the with oh geez you know there was an assignment to be finished but the alcohol makes me feel better, but I still have to finish the assignment, but now I have a bit less time to do it. Yeah, it affects, you know, obviously the next day you're waking up, feel dehydrated and just a headache and stuff. You're not going to have a good day, you know, it could affect work or other things that you're going to do. Um, I think there's obvious consequences there, but obviously just your, your health and well-being. I mean, yeah. obviously it has a lot of damage. So becoming reliant on it, yes. it's a dangerous place to be. It's not a healthy place to be. Uh, I see what you mean by being reliant on it. So you get to the point where you don't trust yourself to be confident without having it first, something along that line. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, it's been the idea of not having it yeah. as an option to think, oh, over the weekend I can go and drink and things. Yeah in my personal journey and, and work, like the idea of not having that available yes. was a big trigger. Like if I thought I can't drink, let's say over the next weekend, yes. would stress me out if that makes sense. Like okay. I would okay. work Friday to think Friday, Saturday, I'm going to get blitzed. So yes. just drink until I, I can't. Like there's that element of whatever happens in the week, I get to escape reality and drink for you know, whatever. Got it, got it. So so it's not like you're needing it for now to feel calmer to, you know, to do public speaking or or to talk to your client, you know, what, or what have you, or to personal train a client. You're talking yeah. about, I need to be able to use that as my hope so that at the end of the week, I can chill. You know, that, that's what I look forward to, to get me through it, the week. It's like a reward. It was like a reward for me. It was like Monday to Friday, you know, Mm. busy with clients and then 
get to the Friday and Saturday, which for me were very big days. You know, I would go through easily a bottle each day, quite comfortably. Right. right. And we, when uh, we're talking about a bottle, we're not talking about a bottle of milk, right? Oh, we're talking <laughs> to a liter of whiskey, bourbon, yeah. whatever I could get. Yeah. But it was like the reward. It was that unhealthy reward that, as I was saying, it doesn't matter almost. You know, by the time I got to a, say a Thursday or Friday, yes, I would think, let's just get through the Friday. Yes. Let's just see clients so I can hurry up and get down to the bottle. If that yes. makes sense. Yes, like, yes, yes, yes. Such an urgency to, and kind of need to drink. Yeah, it's it's a bad loop to be in. So how how do you? change that you know do you think about replacing it with something something else how, how do you manage that so my work with the drinking and the addiction side has been first off probably starting to simply delay the time that i would drink so, so saturday for example right. instead of starting up maybe five it could be let's just go to five thirty, then maybe up until 6 p.m before we start. So there's that bit of a delay and kind yes. of feeling a bit uncomfortable, but just hold off to build some resistance. Yes. Immediately jumping into the drinking and just reinforcing how much I need it. Got it. Know? Got it. So that, that was probably the first start. And once I got used to that, because there were times where I was definitely having multiple days of drinking if work wasn't busy. Yes. So if I was drinking. Tuesday, then it became about, okay, like, yeah, what else could I do? Whether it's go, can I go catch up with friends? Can I go to martial arts? So, so that, that time with options to do different things is actually dangerous, right? What was that, sorry? So when you have flexible time, yeah, then it becomes, it's, it's dangerous when you, when you have nothing to do. That's yeah. dangerous, right? I think kind of if it's not busy... Yeah, if there's not priorities, you know, things to do. Like if for me it was like, oh, I don't have, say, work tomorrow, so there's no real consequence of drinking, you know. Yes. Very careful about obviously drinking knowing I had clients the next day. Yes. Because I wanted to be professional. So I was, I guess, fortunate enough to have that resilience and rule. I guess I set myself, I set that rule that I'm not going to drink and affect my clients, because obviously they're relying on me. So yes. it's something to take seriously. But outside of that, if I didn't have anything the next day, then it, it gets very hard to have a reason not to drink, particularly yeah. if the urge is there. So that was some tricky stuff to me to have to work through. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then you choose to fill the time with going to the gym or catching up with friends or, or what have you. Okay. Yeah. But, it, but that, that has to be an intentional decision, right? Yeah. I, I think there's... Yeah, I think you've got to kind of really commit to it, you know, like with friends, you know, if I set up a meeting to say I'm going to go catch up with a friend at this time and things, then it's more likely I'm obviously going to do that because I'm not yeah. probably as likely going to cancel on my friend. Yes. Yeah. Drink. So, so, so just, just on this alone, you know, I've got two strategies from you already for our listeners who may be interested, right? The first one is, so delaying. Sorry. The, the, the first one is to delay the starting of the drinking uh, on the weekend. But, yeah. but the, uh, uh, the second one is to be aware when you will have free time and to know what to fill those free time with to replace it with the idea of drinking. Yeah, absolutely. I think without a plan, it's uh, very likely you're going to go to what you know, which obviously yeah. for me, Alcohol. So, yeah, absolutely a plan um, with some alternate options. It's, it's a good start to at least go with that to start. So how do you manage annoying friends like me and other people who always on, only wanted to catch up with you at the pub? You know, it's uh, for me, like, to be honest, it's been good because, because obviously I drive there. You know, there's a bit of travel for me. So it's good because... Yeah, if I'm driving, then obviously I can't really drink too much. So I might, if we catch up, I might have a couple of beers, you know, and that's my day. So if we did that on, say, like a Friday, mm. instead of the bottle on a Friday, all of a sudden it's become two or three beers. Right. 
So it's limited. Even if there is some alcohol, it's a more it's a healthier relationship with it. It's more that if I'm out with friends like yourself or others that I'm drinking more, but it's just a social kind of gathering. The, the purpose isn't to erase my memory of what's going on and escape reality. Yes. So the, the function, I guess, the function of the drinking yeah. change. Good point. Very good point, man. I didn't think of it that way. The function changes, yeah? Okay. Absolutely. And I think just even... People like yourself when, you know, obviously I've been very fortunate to have friends like yourself and others who know about what I've gone through. So, you know, they know not to be like, okay, let's get absolutely hammered every time. Yeah. You know, absolutely smash. Let's just have a few, enjoy the night. Oh, this is because I'm old, man. (laughs) (laughs) No way. Um, I actually just forget, you, you know. But, but seriously, because like when you know when I'm around you and you know our our mutual friends, I have so yeah. much fun. You know, you know we talk about life in general. But really, I never thought of intentionally drinking less because you were there. Because I totally forgot, and this is terrible, people. <laughs> you know. Um, but then again, I like well, what I said. I don't drink much, anyways, right? So, <laughs> so. but the people you're around, I think, is the other thing that I learned personally with my psychologist and things was the, you know, the people you're around, having that social support when you're battling addiction is, um, whether it be alcohol, drugs, whatever it may be, is, yeah, very, very important to have a good, at least a good few friends that I know I have people I can reach out to, whether it be yourself or others, to go like, you know, I need to catch up, I need to just talk, get away a bit, opposed to them drinking. So, right. you know, that social support is really, really important for people to have. Yeah. So that's strategy number three, right? Surround yourself with good people. Yeah, absolutely. I think people who you can be honest with, I think is really important to feel you're not going to be judged, you know. Right. You know, oh, my God, you know, what's wrong with you? Do we need to, you know, yeah, take you to a clinic and, you know, detox or, you know, people are okay. This is what's going on. Like, how can we support you? What resources, you know, just supporting people that understand and you can be comfortable and open with. Yeah. You can find those. Yes. Like, that's a position. But there is a fine line between the people that you mentioned and the people that would actually just make things worse for you by, by encouraging, you know, the, the uh, this destructive behavior because they're doing the same, going through the same thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, like it's funny because, yeah, myself and uh, another good friend of mine, he's been slowing down on all his drinking and everything as well. He had a few mm-hmm. health issues come up and I think the fear, he kind of went with it driving by fear, you know, in terms of his health and his dad had health issues because of alcohol. So it's interesting we talk about that, like where we used to both be every week catching up and yeah. drinking, you know, Going same out. Yeah, you know, pretty much every week, um, just blowing whatever we made in the week on alcohol. Yeah. Now it's like catch up and we don't even drink. We we just catch up and do other things. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's interesting to make sure you do have those right people, as you say, who aren't going to think, oh, just one more. You know, it's okay. It's a night yeah. out. It's someone's birthday. You've got to be careful, as you say. I think you need to be careful in a way. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a sad thing about, the, the culture of the past, isn't it? Because what you were saying there about putting all, all the money that you make into uh, alcohol, you know, at, at the pub at the end of the week, that's what everybody used to do. And it was the, it was acceptable behavior. Yeah. You know? And in fact, if you weren't doing it, you'd be thinking like, oh, what's wrong with him? You know? Why isn't he joining us? So I, I'm glad the culture is slowly changing from that. Yeah, I think there's a culture, you know, whether it be necessarily just drinking, but I think kind of over the years, I'm sure you would have noticed as well, like trying to think what they were called, the are you okay days and things like that. Yeah, okay. And things kind of geared around men being able to, you know, open up and experiences. I think things like that. So whether it's just alcohol or addictions, but just mental health. Yeah. It's encouraging that there's been that shift, you know, and obviously what – yourself and I can do in helping them and know that it's okay yeah. to talk support. There's nothing yeah. weak about the culture would have been as you know, yeah. the, would have been the way before. Like, yeah. 
Why yeah. are you crying? What's wrong with yeah. you? <laughs> You're such a pussy, right? <laughs> it's yeah. like, that's, you know, that's what causes so many problems. That's why people want to go suicide route or stuff because they have the belief that they're weak and they can't do it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. it's good to see a cultural change. Isn't that interesting? Because everybody thinks everybody else is strong and they're the only one who's weak. Yeah. You know, and so they'll be too scared to uh, talk to other people because they don't want to be judged, right? Especially, you know, as humans, it's very, the group is very important to us. You know, the acceptance of the group is very important to us, right? So, so if everybody calls everybody else weak, then, then, then you've got to try to act tough like everybody else, right? But what we don't know is at home, we're all scared. Or, you know, everybody has their own problems, right? Everyone does. Something I learned, uh, not just with the CBT, but to be honest, when I was um, doing the personal training, you know, when I was, you know, started that, I was about 20, I must have been. And then I, you know, over the years working in that field, and I kind of started to find my way with opportunities in the city, CBD. And obviously there, a lot of your clients are very powerful businessmen, you know, very well off, you know. People that are literally getting million-dollar bonuses, you know. All these people that we look at and we think, oh, they must have it made, you know. They've just got the best life, you know. Yeah. When you're in a private space and you start to talk to them, you realize it's very much not the truth. And the struggles they have, whether it be relationships, marriage, children, the sacrifices they've made because of the want success. Yes, yes. It's It it was eye-opening for me personally. Because I always, I was in a culture when I was in that area of very driven, high successful people. It was all about the money, the finances. It was all about kind of prestige and, and, you know, building a legacy, you know, it was that kind of culture and mindset. And when I spoke with these people, these clients, you start to see the reality a lot more, the consequences. And so this idea that all these males that you see, for example, are in a very strong, confident position, yeah. not necessarily outside of work. Now it's yeah. quite a Yeah. I remember I had a client, right? Very wealthy, had everything. And, and he was just talking about how he works such long hours. He didn't know his studies. It's like I'm talking to a stranger, you know, and, and, and he's talking about how much he regretted all that time spending working, accumulating yeah. all these toys, wealth and comfort. You know, as opposed to going home maybe an hour earlier and catching up with his son. Isn't that, isn't that quite sad, isn't it? It's sad. And I think, yeah, that kind of feeds into the problem, I guess, that we're talking about, you know, the then how do you cope, you know, and it's those Friday nights or things drinking, you know, or going home and drinking yeah. um, or drugs or, or whatever it may be to survive. They're coming these unhealthy behaviours because, as you say, like their family can become strangers all of a sudden there's such little contact so they're wondering well how do i get by now and so yeah. obviously society kind of provides some very easy options to try to manage yeah so that's a sad short thing. short-term solution <laughs> short-term but if you keep repeating it you hold the belief it's okay like it works and i've spoken yeah. with different friends like that's the thing it's um, friends that are in police force detectives and yeah. all the stories they have but yeah you know, alcohol, it was like, yeah, it helps is what they'll say, yeah. which it does. Yeah. It does help, but it's not a good long-term option. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Do you also think that it's almost an illusion because it's legal? So it's it's almost like it's, it's okay because it's a legal drug. So what, what I'm using it is I'm not as bad as somebody who's maybe – using things like coke or or worse because ice is being judged as the you know what is it the blue collar you know <laughs> dry or, and coke is the white collar so there's even different levels right? so so i think i think alcohol is is probably just as or more damaging to society but there's a level of acceptance because it's legal right and then and then there's this coke which is illegal but it's upper class <laughs> and there's, there's there's ice and heroin where it's it's you know it's for the blue color do you see that at all yeah i think alcohol definitely because it's as you said because it's illegal there's much less stigma if you see yeah. someone having a drink i mean you yeah. walk around everywhere pubs restaurants people are drinking it's all like we see it we grow up you know believing it's okay i mean i've seen if i 
when I've been, say, in a bottle shop and people are there dragging their little kids in, you know, <laughs> as and it's like, what is going on? But right. there's nothing illegal. Like yeah. it's picking up some drinks. Like yes. you're obviously not assuming they're, you know, encouraging their children. They just got yes. their kids as they go and get a drink. But you wouldn't take your child if you're going to go pick up some cocaine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You're not going to just, you know, drag your kid. So yeah. there's as you say, a whole different view, I guess, you know, yeah. on how we see the use of alcohol. So because society says this is okay, it's legal. Yeah. There's a lot less judgment, I guess, if someone says they were having alcohol versus cocaine or ecstasy or ice, you know, yeah. where we view it very differently and as a problem. But alcohol is like yeah. maybe those people are having a bit of trouble. Yeah. So, so that's for, for our listeners who's, who is dealing at the moment with alcohol. Just because it's illegal doesn't mean that you don't have to work on yourself if it's starting to affect your life negatively, right? Because a lot of times people go, well, you know, this is, this is legal. So that means, that means what I'm doing is okay. Sure. But up to what point? You know, if it starts to affect your life, if you start drinking away your rent money or if you start to end up, you know, bashing your your wife or your husband, then that it is starting to affect your life negatively. It doesn't matter whether, whether it's alcohol or it's you know going to the gym or whether it's playing computer games, if it starts to affect your life negatively, you gotta work on it regardless of how legal it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Understanding the the impact, you know, definitely as you say, kind of is it affecting relationships, you know, does that affect Work, you know, if you start cancelling work. Yeah, that's right. Which, you know, I've had a few times that's happened, unfortunately, yeah. where I'll cancel a Friday because I just had, you know, believed that I had to drink on a Thursday. Yes. And there was impacts and it's like, okay, there's a pattern. This is unhelpful. This isn't yeah. just, you know, having one drink after work and leaving it as that or with yeah. friends. I do think, yeah, when you start to see its consequence, we want to start to look at it a bit more, I think. Yeah. yeah. What would make you feel like in, uh, for a, uh, in a week where suddenly you would go, ooh, this is Thursday, but I really need it now, you know, as opposed to waiting till Friday? What would be the reason, do you think? Is it stress? Is it particularly hard clients? You know, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think if there was a specific trigger situation, you know, right. like maybe, I guess for me, yeah, if there was something with work, you know, something I take very seriously and it's a big part of, you know, who I am, you know, like I feel any work I've done has always played a big part of like my identity. So if something yes. was to threaten that, then it feels like it becomes quite a threat to me, you know. Yeah, okay. um, so I think, yeah, work. And, and everybody have different triggers, right? Yeah, like could be relationships. I mean, if you're in a relationship and, you know, yeah. your partner leaves you, then, God. of course, that may be a trigger for drinking. And that's happened to me in the past, you know. So it's important that we, we need to know what could be our potential triggers. Yeah, I think understanding what would cause you to be more impulsive in your drinking and go, okay, I'm just going to go straight to the, you know, the bottle shop, pick up a bottle, drink, and if I have to cancel the next day, it doesn't matter. If if those types of behaviours and traits are coming through, I think we need to look at, okay, well, what was causing that? You know, like what really led to that? What was so bad about it? The event that led you to just... Choose that regardless of any consequence because that's yeah. a pretty big deal. So. So, so what you're saying is you you look back and try to see the, the relationship, you know, from the trigger to, to the drinking and, you know, what what can you do to to minimize that from happening again? Yeah, I think that understanding just the situation, if it's more impulsive, but then, yeah, like, I mean, I guess just for me and I'm not sure about listeners, but for me, there was a pattern. So, you know, I'm trying to work at the moment, like Friday, say for example, Friday, Saturdays, mm. days where it's like there doesn't need to be a reason, a negative to drink. There doesn't have to be like, oh, why are you drinking this bottle? It's like, are you sad? No, just because it's Saturday. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. Do you know Got what I mean? There's that, Got habit, it. there's that habit of, well, today's Saturday. Mm. I'm going to drink. What do you mean? What else, you know, am I going to do? 
Good even point. So we need to be very observant, yeah? That we must have, I mean, like, when did you realize that it's only a pattern? For me, that pattern of, say, a Friday, Saturday, hmm. probably, probably from 2019. I think yeah. from 2019 till really now, something yeah. I'm still working, it's always been there. Friday, Saturday, like, yeah. completely normal. And I was with different roommates, for example, that yeah. that's what we did. Like, they may have gone and bought a bottle. So when I come home, it's there, a bottle of, you know, yeah. Jack Jack. Because that was the routine, that was the culture, and so I just became so used to it. It was like yes. my brain, I guess, is just like, this is today we drink, even if say I'm having a great day. That's not the reason. Yeah, I'm drinking. That's, that makes, that's that's what makes it tricky, right? Because when you want to start dealing with, like I said before, you know, things that that has negative consequences, you you may be so used to doing it, and when you it, it takes a lot of really really looking within and go oh yeah that is actually not a good thing <laughs> you know without realizing it because you've been doing it for years wow yeah okay. Okay. absolutely in my intro we talked previously about suicide attempts and things like that and i think it was around 2018 what was the causes was that what happened you know are you still having some thoughts now or a little bit more about that 2018 was uh it was the it was a tough year but it was also the year that I like found out my diagnosis you know so when I was first admitted to the hospital in the psychiatric ward you know did you self self admit or did you or or, or was it no I, you had the psychosis or a gp and then because I was self harming and so before I was kind of self harming and attempted Um, and I was living with my my girlfriend at the time, and obviously she saw what some of the results were. So we decided, you know, we need to go down to the doctor and and you know see about it. So we went there, kind of told them what was going on, did some yeah. standard measures, yes. and then he just said, like, yeah, you need to go to the to the hospital like immediately. It yeah, it wasn't an option. It was one of those cases of you know you either go or The police will take you. Um, wow. Okay. So, do you think you were lucky that you had a GP who is very uh, assertive? You know, because some GPs are so busy with their yeah. six-minute sessions. Yeah, yeah. This GP was great actually. When I was living over at Pondai, he was really good. Listened, and yeah, I was very, very fortunate. Looking mm. back, I was very lucky to have a doctor that said, "Look, you need to mm. go." You know, he did it two times where it was like. You need to go. Otherwise, yeah, I, I don't know what the outcome would be if I hadn't gone there. I hadn't received diagnosis. Had a few mm. days mm. in the hospital to get some help. Mm. I'm not sure if I would be here. Like, mm. honest, but yeah, I was very lucky with the support I had. Absolutely. Mm. But also, you have it in you to accept you know, the help from your girlfriend, from your GP to accept input, you know, because a lot of times we, we, we are, you know, whether it's embarrassment or whether it's guilt or whatever, you know, or the pride could be pride where you go, no, 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 I want to deal with it myself. And, and sometimes that's not possible, right? Yeah. I think I just, I knew that I needed help. I think kind of, I thought, you know what, like Josh, if you're getting to the point where you're trying to slit your wrists and trying to strangle yourself and, you know, mm. sorry details if it triggers someone but mm. to be honest this was just the reality these, these are things i was doing researching methods you know before i was researching what medications i could pick up and mm. use mm. i was trying to find out and it's pretty sad what you can find on the internet yeah websites that will tell you this yeah. is the most effective way these are the statistics like you can yeah. find that And, 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 and that's another thing that annoys me. You know, some people, I don't know what reason that ha they have in their minds to put up those websites where they, they give you the guide, you know, the guidance of, oh, this is what you're going to do. You know, there's type A and then there's a shop near you where you can get this and that for a discount. <laughs> really? God, uh, you know, statistics of, yeah, if you split your wrist, I think that's maybe 10% or lower. I can't remember. But overdose, different medications, like... Yeah. And so I was looking, you know, I was literally on my phone looking and going, okay, what, what way do I try? Like trying to figure it out practically if I had to go, you know, with my second attempt in mid-2018. 
researching, you know, I had plans for, for strangulation and I thought, okay, well, how do I do it? And my plan and why they sent me back into the hospital because I was going to go across the road to get equipment to do it right? because I read on the internet, this is how you should do it. So, yeah, it, it was a rough time, I guess, coming back. But I think once I knew the diagnosis and I started to get specific treatment for that, yeah, that changed a lot. Because I also started to understand why I had acted why, the way I yeah. did start in the past. Yeah. I heard this a few times. Having been diagnosed, it really freed me almost. You know, I, I feel this relief, you know, this, this weight lifted off my shoulder because I didn't realize you know, until now. You know, and then also the diagnosis usually means that, oh, there are others like me. You know, yeah. What was it like your experience being diagnosed? Was it like that? Yeah, I remember, yeah, my first admittance, March, I think, 2018, was in the hospital, stayed overnight, and then, um, so the next day, spoke to the, the psychiatrist there and had a chat, and then she came back with, like, a little pamphlet thing and said, have a read of this, tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember I looked at it and I said, literally, every description but one, yeah. I think that's me, right. you know, or behaviors, the attitudes and thoughts on things, I thought, holy crap, like, they <laughs> I thought, you know, oh, so there are people that are like this too. Like, it's not that I thought something's wrong with me, you know, yeah. why am I turning yeah. all these away, ruining relationships? Like, I thought, what's wrong with me? It was like, this is the reason why this is what's going on. So I think I felt more encouraged. Yes. Okay, they know what's going on. I have these experts that know what's happening and yeah. can give the best treatment. So yeah. for me personally, it was very encouraging to yeah. know what was relief. Massive relief because I thought yeah. when I looked before, like I thought, oh man, you're just such an asshole to people. Like <laughs> yeah. you know, the way I treated some people, I really regret it. And yeah. Um, yeah. but now I thought at least I know why and you know. Over the past few years, I've been able to work very hard at it. So it was a relief and really good to finally understand what was going on in my life. Yeah. yeah. So again, right, for, for our listeners, right, that, that's, you know, sometimes I know that with our clients, George, they're very, very scared of, you know, going to, uh, to, to do something about mental health, right, of being, di- you know, uh, going to the hospital uh, for, to, you know, to be diagnosed and things like that. But yeah your experience is, is very different, right? It's, it's actually a very good turning point, isn't it? Once you've been diagnosed, because now you know what to do, right? Yeah, I think that, that was my experience. Obviously, everyone will be different, I'm sure. But mm. my personal experience, it was definitely a positive because I was able to have a team there kind of, you know, help organize my treatment, link me in with counselors, psychologists that I could get support until I was yeah. waiting a DBT program, which yeah. is specific, if people don't know, for people that have borderline yeah. personality yeah. disorder. It's a good treatment. So, to, uh, good uh, on that point. Then, give me a little bit more. Just uh, you know, if you if you will, a borderline personality disorder. It's, I guess, very various heightened emotions. I guess is one part of it. So, to make sense of it, like looking back, I could, like, let's just say, for example, okay. I could like you at one part of the day yeah. and for whatever reason, I could think, oh, I hate Clement. Like, what an idiot. Yeah. And then the next day I could come back and go, oh, I love him. He's great. How are you? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, very much kind of rapid changing emotion. That, that could happen just throughout the day. Wake up, feel okay. Yeah. Later, feel really bad, then feel good. So various emotions throughout the day. Yeah. So that would be very, it would be stressful for you. Very stressful. But definitely also for the other person who, who doesn't know. <laughs> is it the time of the day that, 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 that he likes me or is it the time of the day he wants to kill me? <laughs> they just thought, oh, this guy's just an asshole. Like, yeah. why is he treating me like this? And then, yes. you know, yeah. I guess the other thing I learned about myself was the very black and white thinking, yes. you know, like either all or in, you know. So yes. that's like, say, with the drinking, you know, it's mm. go through a bottle not just have a couple like if i'm going to do something i'm going to be 100 percent on something you know and so even with work that's what led to when i was doing personal training i led to 12 14 hour days because it was just 
all in. I've got to be perfect. I'll, you have yeah. to be perfect. You have to keep yeah. getting better. You can't fail. If you take time out, you're weak. All these so, are negative. So I guess my question here, Matt, is, is it the chicken or the egg? Does the, uh, the disorder make somebody think in a black and white manner? Or is it the way that person you know, was, let's say, brought up to be perfectionist and then that can, can tip over to become the disorder that we discussed? So what's your opinion on that, man? So from what I understand and what I've been told about it, definitely not an expert, but there are parts which is, you know, as you would know, kind of the genetic side that there may have been kind of predispositions yes. to people go yes. out for it. I think there were elements of that whether it be with the personality stuff or the drinking in particular. I think right. that there was factors there, just knowing my family history, but also definitely the upbringing. One of the other common features, I guess, I should have mentioned was there can be a very key uh, significant fear of abandonment, which can lead to these other behaviors. So, right. you know, relationship, you know, thinking, oh, you know, she's going to leave me, yes. you know, She's going to be with someone else, treat on me, do things. Mm. And so it ends up sabotaging the relationship, you know, to end it before they could leave me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Very common. Yeah. You know, but, so but you're saying that that came from the fear of abandonment came from potentially childhood could be parental divorce or it could be death of somebody close or, you know, some, you yeah. know. okay. Yeah. Definitely um, within childhood. Yeah. I think there were different elements like for me, kind of being very kind of aware of surroundings, you know, I'll pick up how people talk, how they, you know, my environment, like yeah. I'll kind of very heightened about what's going on in my environment, scanning, I guess, for any threats, which I know stem from childhood. I, I know now stems from fears of threats, whether physical yeah. or abuse in childhood. Yeah. Um, so it could, it's almost like a PTSD effect, isn't it? Yeah, there are elements of that. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a bit of a mixed bag, I guess, with the personality yeah. stuff. But you know, I guess I'll just tell people whether it's necessarily obviously they have anything like that or drinking or something um, addictions. I guess just knowing that there are resources, there are people that you can talk to. There are very, very good programs. You know, yeah. we are very fortunate in Australia. You know, to 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 have all this. In Australia, I think yeah. even now over the past couple of years, I think we've seen how much money they're putting into mental health, mm. you know, because of the significance. So, but I think it's, as you would know, I think it's also about finding that person, even finding a therapist that you feel yeah. Yeah. you can talk to. That would be the other thing. Like for me now, I'm very, very fortunate to be with a psychologist who, you know, She's amazing. Like, I feel very happy talking to her, catching yeah. up. I'm very fortunate to have that because I've had others that probably weren't the best match for me. So don't give up, I guess, if you have one negative experience would be my other bit of advice. Yeah, and, and you are continue, continuing to have that support, right? Yeah, I'm at the moment, yeah, every month, once a month, just catch up, you yeah. know, sort of straight. You know, catch up, talk about how things are going. Get that. Are person. you still doing the uh, the DBT? Okay. Oh, before I ask you that question, even can you tell me what is DBT that has been known as the standard uh, treatment for borderline? Can you give me yeah. a little bit? I'm not putting you on a spot here with, with all these questions about. <laughs> well, DBT is uh, dialectical behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. So the idea there's so what I did there are kind of three modules. Mm-hmm. You know, so things of like emotional regulation, you know, distress tolerance, these types of things. So you kind of learn skills like say interpersonal skills, you know, managing conflict, how to talk to people better, better communal, mm-hmm. you know, effective communication. So there are areas within that. Yeah. Um, they do obviously a lot on mindfulness, you yeah. know, which I'm a very big fan of. I use with clients all the time. Yeah. Just kind of being present you know, and just kind of knowing where you are and, yeah. you know, know, that the time we have is like, that is it, the past and the future. Like, you know what I mean? They, yeah, yeah. they don't exist, if that makes sense. Yeah. So there were skills around that and, yeah, just various stuff. Like I say, distress tolerance, learning if you're feeling unsafe, skills to use to manage 
to get through that time. Do you do some exposure therapy for this distress tolerance, mate, where you expose yourself a little bit to potential trigger and sit with it, that kind of thing? Yeah, there's elements of that. I think kind of the difference, and I think this is a thing I also learned from my professional practice, and you would know, you know, there is that exposure. So if we feel anxious, you know, I might tell a client to try to sit with that, you know, don't use breathing techniques and stuff like that in the moment. Yes. What I learned is that also when I was doing the DBT, that that's very different in situations because if someone has something like a, as I say, whether it's personality issues or something, Mm. impulsive behaviours, it could be detrimental to then have them not do a breathing technique because I've also learned that that helps me, you know, if I wanted to go drink or if I wanted to self-harm or do something, then Mm. it's very contextual, you know, it's depending on what's going on. You've got to be very careful. Yes, moment by moment. Yeah, don't use the breathing technique if you feel stressed. It's like, no, do that or do the classic things of like, you know, stick your head in a bucket of ice you know, stuff to learn. Like it's right. it's real. You know, like you know, it sounds funny, but stick your head in a freezer. Like it right. seems really bizarre, but does it work? It does. Okay. Um, you know, I know it sounds super weird, but the idea is to kind of just squash some of the anxiety, the reactions, and symptoms you're having. Yeah, you know, so the craving, or almost too. Yeah, like it affects your biology. You know. Yeah. So that was, yeah, something I learned was with exposure. I think it can be very situational. Yes. I think that's something yeah. we need to be careful of. Like if the breathing or anything else is what's going to keep you safe yeah. to get stressful. Yeah. you got to prioritize that. you got to do it. Yes. You do that. Worry about anything else later. Otherwise, yeah. you know, you're yeah. potentially not going to have the opportunity. And it's like. There, there may not be a later. Yes. Good point. Uh, be safe that's always my priority everyone's yes. safe anything else after there's skills we can learn later but yes. so i think in that i learned it was very interesting because yeah. it kind of contrasted things that i was learning in cbt and yeah so that's uh, just for the listeners for for a quick just a very quick um, explanation of uh, what J- uh, josh is saying here is that we we do the um, the breathing exercises uh, as a way to to calm ourselves down not when we're triggered but when if you were to do the breathing exercises when you're triggered we you know we consider that as not allowing yourself to focus on the discomfort because you're trying to expose yourself to discomfort to get used to that feeling of discomfort but what josh is saying uh sometimes you got to prioritize if you need the breathing exercises but when you're triggered and you need to and uh, to, and, and if it stops you from from completing suicide but you do the breathing exercises and you know we worry about technical technicalities later that's that's what you're saying right josh correct me if i'm wrong no 100 percent. it's uh safety you know classes <laughs> yeah. that's it yeah. Anything else, like we, you know, talk about that with, you know, your counselor or whoever it may be. Yeah. But there's some of the differences because that that's a thing. Like different counselors, psychologists, they're going to have different experiences, different approaches. Yeah. So it's about respecting that and understanding also why yeah. different choices would have been made. And and how does DBT address the uh, black and white thinking then? So. I remember doing this when I first uh, started. It was one of the, when I entered the program, the module looked at some of this. So this was the first thing I did and I was very resistant. I remember the therapist, sorry, I had uh, the group facilitator really challenged me on some of this stuff because my idea, for example, was either, let's say, I think we were mentioning before, let's say one instance that let's say you and I have, and I could think, oh, Clement's just an idiot. And that's the category that you're in now. But do you know, like kind of like either someone's good yes, or someone's just like friend yes. or enemy. Like that. Yes. I knew in between. There was that never kind of, I never learned that. I never understood that. It was either I like you, you're my friend. Right. Or like, what do you want? Like, why are you around? I don't like you. So right. it was very unfair. Yes. Right? Very unhealthy. And so what we started to learn was 
they refer to it often like finding the middle ground, you know, so what's the middle ground of a situation? So you have your point of views on one yeah. side. Yeah. Um, and then the other person would have their point of view and why they have this opinion or acted in this way. Yes. And so one of the key, I guess, skills and concepts is to understand that is like, okay, where can we meet? You know, so respecting, yeah. this, not disrespecting or disregarding your thoughts or opinions. Yeah. So don't disregard or disrespect what other people think because that's also valid. So you both have validation. But, but how was that for you? Because you never see the world. You, you never tried to see the world like that, right? How was that first experience? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, absolutely, I absolutely hated it. I just thought, <laughs> I remember I would talk about situations that <laughs> happened. And like, we used to have like group. So the way that DBT worked, you would have once a week a group session for like Got it. Yeah. hours a week. Yeah. And then you'd have an individual. And so I remember going to the group things and I would talk about a situation and go, oh, yeah, this person, they're just an idiot. And then someone going, oh, hold on, like, what's going on? And then challenging that idea and go, what are, well, you know, what's their point of view? And that for me was so foreign yes. that I just thought, what do you mean the other person's point of view? You're supposed to be there to help me. Like, you know, so it sounds very weird to think about, to, to talk about now because, like, yes. I've learned this. But at the yeah. time, I just yeah. thought, what are you talking about? I'm right. They're wrong. You yes. know, I would just, I needed to humble myself, to be honest, to have a lot more humility. And, you know, I've been very fortunate to start to do that now. Yeah. Um, but So you're saying it's possible for people who are black and white to actually learn to find the, uh, the gray zone? Oh, yeah. I think you definitely learn that. And I mean, I've done it with clients, you know, you know, and again, this is, I guess, where it can can help because I'm like, okay, I get this, you know, I can yeah. see it's from myself. You, you can definitely work on all these things. I don't like, I guess to an extent, maybe believe that there's nothing that we can't fix, you mm. know, you know, and some stuff may take longer. Like I was doing this program for about 18 months, yes. but so it's definitely tough. It's a long journey. It's tough. Yeah. But, but in the school, years of your life 18 months is is a it's a worthwhile sacrifice isn't it oh yeah like i often would tell the the psychologists and things that i had throughout the program and things you know um and even now you know man i wish i you know someone pointed this out in my early 20s you yeah. know would have probably relationships like yeah. friendship yeah social, business relationships like i lost a lot yeah i lost a lot because of the way i was Yeah. And I guess that's why I try to do what I do because, you know, yeah. as cheese sounds, I just I don't want people to make the stupid mistakes I did. Not, not, not trying to, to console you or anything, but sometimes it's about timing and maturity, right? If, if let's say you had all these options when you're 20, yeah. you, know, you may have still been a prick, right? <laughs> Where you go, <laughs> I still am, man. You know that. I'm still. <laughs> And, and, and you, you know, you may not be, be able to accept it, right? As, as you get older now, then you, it's probably just the sweet spot of timing. You know, and sometimes yeah. I feel sorry for some, you know, some people where they try and try and try, but they miss the timing. And it's not sometimes it's just pure luck, isn't it? You know. Yeah. Looking at it, I think the timing was probably right in like. Because at that point, I kind of left my the the personal training fitness side behind. Right. So 20, mid-2018, I, I left that. Hmm. And then six months later, obviously, met yourself and the team and started to do new access and CBT coaching. Yeah. You know, it was kind of perfect timing for me to go, you know what, this lifestyle just isn't working for me anymore. Do you think the lifestyle also was encouraging that kind of thinking or not? Yeah, absolutely. I think the culture that I was in, as I was saying, kind of particularly like probably 2016 up until 2018 when I started to be in environments, I was working for organizations that are kind of very well known yeah. in Australia, you know, and very big alpha males, very dominant personalities. Um, I'm sure people come across you know, chest out, you know, yeah. owning the room, as they want to say. And I'm just not like that. I'm naturally, like, I'm happy to keep to myself. I don't want that attention. I'm complete opposite. If I have attention on me, that that's a negative for me. 
So being a part of that, yeah, definitely made things difficult to kind of be in those environments and feel like I had to change and be like that. You know, I held this belief that I had to be this way. I had to be more ruthless with people. Yeah. You know, I yeah. didn't friends, then, you know, go away. Like there's other people that don't waste my time. Just very unhealthy environments, I guess. Yeah. Looking, yeah. So again, that's another good tip uh, for for the listeners. Uh, sometimes, well, well, Josh says that he's lucky because of the circumstance change, but sometimes, if we see that our environment is not conducive to a good, healthy lifestyle, we may have to change that ourselves. You know, we may have to extricate ourselves from the environment. Is that right? Would you say that, Josh? Yeah, I think particularly say with work or whether it's work or anywhere else, social yeah. groups, you know, I think you do have to be careful about who you're surrounding yourself with. I think that re I really believe that the people you hang around will have a very big influence on who you become. I mean, I, looking back, I just know that that's the way it was, how I changed because of my environment. You know, that's why I was very lucky to land the role that I did with the CBT coaching because I shifted to an environment where it was very demanding, like you need to be 100% all the time. Yeah. If you bring up any concerns, like it was, oh, you're just complaining, you're yeah. whinging. You're weak. Yeah. 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 That environment, very dominant, very pretty ruthless, you know? Yeah. To when I kind of met you and the team where it was like, you know, I had supervisors going, how are you? you know? <laughs> you're like, what? You, you wanted to know how I am? <laughs> talking about how I am. Is there something wrong? Like yeah. it was so new to me. It was such a foreign concept to have mm. in the mm. business business work world. People like, are you okay? You're managing your time. How are you finding the workload? Yeah. You know, and just having the team, yourself and the others that mm. were so happy and encouraging, weren't competing against each other. Weren't talking about each other behind each other's backs. Mm. So new to me. But I'm so grateful because it's absolutely changed my perspective on so much. Yeah. Um, the environment is massive. Yeah. Massive thing. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Environment makes it big. It has a big effect on us, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Because absolutely. that's at least what, eight to 10 hours a day of your life you'll be spending in that environment, right? So if the environment is poisonous, then that's eight to 10 hours out of 24. And then don't forget the other eight hours you're sleeping. So, you know, it's only about eight hours left you got that's going to be affected by that. Uh, yeah. Okay. Good point, man. Any final words um, before we wrap it up? Because this has been an amazing interview. Uh, any final tips or any final strategies that you want to, to say to the audience? I mean, I, I guess kind of the theme of obviously what we've been talking about and I know you've been talking about with these podcasts, you know, like, like that, it's okay. It's it's absolutely fine to reach out and get help, whether it's friends, whether it's professionally. Like I think I was speaking to yourself when we, you know, had caught up earlier that I feel that it takes a personally a lot more strength to reach out than to hide. Because hiding is easy, right? Because that's our nature. It's a, it's a natural tendency to just, nah, we don't, you know, we just hide, right? Reaching out is a lot harder. So it is actually not right that, that when you reach out, you're, you're weak. It's actually it's, brave. It's brave. It's, you know. You're stronger if you reach out and go like, because I mean, at the end of the day, you're going to start potentially say talking to someone you don't know. Yeah. And you're expected to start talking about what's bothering you, you know, like, yeah. You know, obviously we've done assessments with so many people, like they open up their lives to you over yeah. these sessions. That's very hard to do from a client perspective, but it's a brave option. It's to me personally shows yeah. strength. So oh, I hope I agree. take that away. I hope people know that it's normal to feel low, to yeah. struggle, yeah. You know, but there are so many resources and people that want to help you and can. Yeah. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I guess that's what I would say, like reach out. Yeah. You made a, a very interesting statement just then. You said it's normal to, to be low sometimes. Do you feel that social media has they're responsible for a lot of this because everybody's so used to putting up their best front 
So uh, when when you're not feeling the best and you look at all your friends' updates and things, it's always their best front, whether they're on a yacht somewhere or some, uh, which, which is pretty much Photoshop anyways. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, when do you think that there is an effect? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think, again, from my experiences with the fitness world, I mean, that's exactly what they do. Um, I can pretty confidently tell you like they're not always that happy and everything at the time yeah you know being shredded having a six-pack having all this and that having the best you know you can't be happy being shredded anyways right because you're 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 hungry (laughs) you can't go out and have regular meals with you like it it's not amazing but um how much chicken breast can you have oh you can have plenty of that but i mean all your you know if you enjoy history or some sweets and that that's going to be limited but it's that front as you say it, it, it's kind of projecting this idea of what happiness is and i don't know that all of the influence with social media is really healthy because i think so much of it is yeah it's not true like you don't have to look this particular way to find happiness that that's not going to find your happiness yeah amen um, yeah as you say i think that's a good point i think people should be very mindful very careful about social media because that's not reality. That's not how people are living on there 24-7. So I think that's something to be careful of. When, yeah. What's your standard of happiness? You know, what determines you being happy? I think you need to decide that yourself, not yeah. social media. I remember there was an interview with some dude uh, from Facebook who who invented the, uh, the thumbs up, the like button. All right. uh, and he was saying how he regretted inventing it because he saw the effect it has on his daughter. How she, you know how his his daughter started chasing likes. Yeah, you know. So we 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 don't learn to generate liking ourselves from within, and we need other people's likes. You know, and and these are people we never met in our lives. You know, oh, ten thousand likes, wow. You know, mm-hmm. three minutes that's, later you feel down again. That's not sustainable. But I mean, as you say, that's the culture there, right? Yeah. Social media, Facebook, Instagram, you know, yeah. whatever it is. Like the more views, the more likes, you're somehow a more important, more valued now. Yes. There's a flaw in the thinking, isn't it? I mean, that's, yeah, that external kind of validation, I think, is really, yeah. I personally think, very dangerous. You know, and again, I'm speaking just from personal experience. The idea yeah. of people, yeah. what people think of me all of a sudden is so important. You know, it's what I think about myself. You know, am I happy with what I'm doing, the decisions I'm making? Yeah. Other people, they're not in my shoes. You know, I'm not in someone else's shoes. So they should decide what makes them happy, what gives them purpose and value, not other people. Yeah. And as you say, like, yeah, someone clicking a like button, a thumbs up button, that millisecond it takes shouldn't give you your value. I really hope it doesn't do that for people. Yeah, yeah. I remember I have a client and she, she, she said, uh, I can't remember this many years ago, something along the line of, I only go out when I'm with my boyfriend, you know? So I said, oh, okay. And so, so when your boyfriend is overseas for work or whatever, you don't go out, you don't go to the cinema alone, you don't go to the movies alone. No, no. I said, why? She goes, oh, because people will think I'm a loser. You know, they'll be judging. I said, okay. So you worried about the judgment of people who you may not see ever again in your life. You worry that these people are going to think that you're a loser. These people you may never see ever again. And she's like, oh, I didn't think of it that way. <laughs> I, may yeah. ne- I may never see them again. And yet I'm allowing them to change, to change my behavior, you know? Yeah. So. yeah. Control, the power. And that, that's something was interesting, yeah as you say, that I learned, as you say about that, like, it's like, I guess, in the same way, if someone, you know, I'm sure we've all experienced, you know, someone says something negative to us or about us and we really let this stuff stick. And I remember a mentor I had, had spoken about that, you know, like that's poison that you'll have, you're holding on to that poison, you know, um, and letting it affect you. But that other person's probably out and about having a great time. doesn't even remember. Probably forgot uh, about what he said, right? Yeah. I wouldn't have a clue. Most people that 
are saying that, but we hold on to it and that becomes our poison. And in the same way you said, like, you know, if she didn't want to go out to the movies for fear of judgment of others, mm. like all of a sudden she's not doing something fun and enjoyable for herself based on other people. And again, I think that's... Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not even other people she knows, right? It's other people she doesn't know. Don't you know? Even know them. These are interesting things. Who knows? Maybe we'll talk about it in other podcasts, this kind of social construct and behaviors. I think it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool. Let's, let's leave it there for the time being. Young Josh, thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you very much for allowing me to interview you. And also thank you for being so open. Yeah, man, really appreciate it. And um, I'll be seeing you soon for and, and plan our uh, trip to Canberra together. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the other people there, you better tell me you're coming. Let's go. That's it. That's it. All right. Thanks, mate. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. So, ladies and gentlemen, that was Josh Creasy, a very impressive young man indeed. Now, a summary of his strategies and what he discussed are, number one, in regard to management of his alcohol uh, addiction, is to delay the starting time when the drinking is to start. This way, he can develop resistance to the urge to drink. Number two, to plan ahead in the week so that any free time can be used to do more constructive things, uh, such as by seeing friends instead of just drinking. Number three, to have a sense of responsibility or a rule for his clients, which helps him to control his drinking before uh, the last client of the week. Number four, to change the function of drinking from being an escape to being a social one which is a healthier function. In regard to his mental health management, number five, to surround himself with good people to uh, increase his support network. Number six, to understand what his drinking triggers or drinking patterns are. Number seven, to accept help from others uh, when he needs help. Number eight, to take the time and effort to find a therapist that's a great match for him. Number nine, to look for resources or programs to suit his mental health needs. Number 10, to extricate himself from environments that are not good for him. Number 11, he advises that if you do need help, to not be afraid to reach out. Number 12, to not compare yourself with others, especially with what you see in social media. Number 13, to generate acceptance of yourself from within and not from external by worrying about others' opinion, especially if these people are strangers, such as a lot of the people on social media. If you want to know what I'm doing uh, with regard to resources for men, go to clementjaya.com, where I have blogs and podcasts uploaded. And the spelling of the name is C-L-E-M-E-N-T-D-J-A-J-A. And if you want to find uh, my podcast, just Google or type on the search box of Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Shooting the Breeze with Clement. You should be able to find my podcast. Thank you very much. Looking forward to doing my next episode. Hopefully you will get something out of listening to my interview with Josh today. Thank you. Enjoy your day. Bye.